Thanks for tuning in to the second installment of our epic podcast with the Jim Group. In this episode, Jim and Sean Paul talk us through the operational implications of planning decisions in their, their big replatforming project uh, and give some advice around how to manage and keep the project uh, on an even keel. Hope you enjoy it. So I'd like to move on to um, some questions around the operational side of it, because I think that's really interesting for people listening, because there's always implications on, on decisions. And I know that, um, that you both said Maui was born out of concern over future scalability um, and you know, future-proofing the business. I'd love to know, like, how did you as- assess the scalability of the new technology model to make sensible like technology and cost decisions on this? Um, yeah, this was really difficult, to be honest, around cost. Um, and the reason it was so difficult was um, the things have been, we, we, we grown really quickly and some of the, yeah, the technology was, was put together almost just in time to just do enough. And we'd almost that, uh, tipped over that scale in terms of things weren't falling really well enough. So actually the, the cost of that the cost of operation is really low. So we knew that, you know, cloud-based systems, which were more modern, more scalable, would allow us to develop and manage change was the right way to go. But the shortcut part of that conversation was it was probably going to cost or it would cost more. So we just tried to really like look at that kind of like scale, really forecast what that would start to do. And that, and that's quite difficult, especially when you're talking about cloud hosting, you know, getting a kind of answer out of a, you know, a techie engineer to say, well, actually what's the likely cost um, of this hosting kind of profile? What's this scale going to mean? All the time, our, our traffic's growing and growing across all our sort of digital platforms. And so it's trying to put the controls in place that was really going to manage that was was the biggest challenge. And then um, the key thing for us was really trying to get to a place where um, we were actually could show that at, we were unlocking effectively, we were being a lot more efficient as we grow, the cost base wouldn't go up proportionally, you know, it would... It would it would go up in, in kind of, and, you know, we could benefit from our scale, um, you know, driving a different unit cost. But it was, it was certainly a, a, a challenge coming from such a low in cost base, such a cheaply run operation to something a little bit more modern. Uh, don't know if that's answered the question. Yeah, I, I know it's quite a tough one. So I guess, Sean Paul, what's your perspective on it? So from the, the trading and the management of the site side, how... Well, you know, what was your evaluation process to check that the technology would be fit for purpose? So, I think we did absolutely probably one of the best RFP processes I've ever been part of. It was very thorough. Like, I think I got my mortgage easier than in Sono about the uh, the agreement there. And um, it was very, very thorough. And the doc, I remember the document was maybe 50, 60 pages long. And it was like, it was like an insight into how everything works in our business. And, and, we were very brutal in the um, in the process as well. We asked a lot of tough questions, and in terms of operationally how we assessed it would work, I guess we had a number of success metrics as well. Um, and so, you know, we want conversion rate to grow. And um, I can I can't say about how much, but I can say it did happen. And we wanted to build an ability to do other things as well. And I think that's an intangible that's often very difficult to quantify. And the best way I ever describe that is kind of the things we can do now, we could never have even dreamed of, or they would have taken a lot longer. And I think that's probably allowed us to 
to dream a bit or allow us to think a bit bigger and, and be more agile and, and be able to do those things. And I guess the other assessment is I find these things very difficult sometimes. Like I could give you a metric, for example, of how long it took us to get a gym online in the old world versus how long we can do it now. We did 22 new openings in about 23, 24 weeks last year in the second half of the year. That wouldn't have been possible on the on the old way and it would have been slowed down. So there's lots of like campaign efficiency, new branch launch efficiencies, the ability to be able to build a crawl function. That's been a big one. And adding speed, SEO. So all of the kind of functional metrics all support why it's really good decision. But I think the biggest one is probably we knew where we wanted to go as a business in the future. And one of the things Jim said there really kind of makes me probably a phrase I would think is if we don't do this, so looking at it like that, if we don't do this, we want to be able to do those things. So sometimes it was a necessary cost and all we just have to accept that we don't do this, that this is the ceiling on what we will do for the next three to four years. And that was unacceptable. We needed to push the boundaries further and further. So I think I'd probably say, um, it's a, it, it's always difficult, right? To, and as the trading person on this, it's difficult to measure it because we did increase conversion rate, but we also unlocked 15, 20% through price increases. So price, when you increase the price, you roll the conversion. So you've got our project team increasing the conversion rate, which is fantastic. And then you've got the pricing team who are eroding that with yield. But ultimately, the biggest winner is the business because we've generated more revenue. We're converting more. And then, and that's, I guess, that's the biggest measure is enablement. So we've enabled the business to do things that we didn't and wouldn't have been able to do, didn't do this project. So, um, yeah, and the teams are, the teams are much happier. I think that's a big thing as well is, uh, is the maturity of the teams. And um, it's a big challenge we don't talk about a lot, but Jim effectively formed the team in about three to six months. And we think about kind of your best football team that usually take a season or two before they're ready for a title charge. And we were building a team who hadn't played together. So you're trying to get that chemistry working quickly. And well, the great thing with a project like this is that we now have a team that will part of the build. So it's all easier. It's easier when you come into a job to slate what went before. But you don't always get the chance to build the whole thing in your own vision and image. And that makes the operation easier because everyone knows every nook and cranny in this actual setup now. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a question that has a direct answer or a, a really thin answer. Oh, yeah, sounds, sounds kind of like Chelsea, the, uh, the team, football team analogy. Um, so next question. Uh, so obviously you've moved to a new uh, tech stack, kind of modernized everything. Um, how did you have to adapt as a business from kind of a process and operations perspective? Um, I, I think it was just a bit of a chance to, uh, just really modernize based on that sort of like capability. So really bring that sort of partner network. So we had lots of other tech partners that we weren't, we weren't managing particularly well previously. So we use it as a really, actually just to always bring that ecosystem together a bit more. So we, we still use uh, just other partners and they're, you know, a really good extended part of the team now. We've got good change control processes. We've got new kind of like setups. 
you know, we've, we've, we've scaled up and down a few times in terms of development squads and product teams that are, you know, focused in sort of different areas. We've effectively used that a better managed service in place. So, um, you know, I'm not up at night worrying if the website's going to fall over and I won't know about it or, um, so we've been able to introduce all of that as, as part of this change as well. Um, and then I think the other thing that's been a major part, major change for our business is it's unlocked a lot more opportunity in terms of being able to deliver a lot of value in a lot of different areas and your product to market changes and different things. So having that capability, having more, more technology been in we we delivered and you know since we went live like last april we did a whole bunch of change um in, in, in different phases we've been able to um really accelerate our kind of some of our other kind of products to market and changes at a rate you know that that, that sometimes generally our business isn't used to so it gives a lot more flexibility around um you know what we can deliver in the value that we can get out the door so that's for us as a business so how do you prioritize effectively how do you pick the right things how do you and you back the right horses that's been something that we're probably still going through a little bit to actually go right we've got great power how do we use this responsibility effectively i would um i would add as well like again it's not the sexiest part of the project but what running a really really good rfp did was create a documentation and transparency around everything in the business so a lot of questions you would typically ask is, oh, where does that connect it? Does this connect to this? All of that was covered. So just this comprehensive documentation across JIRA of everything. And that's kind of one thing. And I think that was, again, an intangible, but has created a behavior and a culture of want better documentation. And the second thing is around planning. Uh, you don't deliver a project or a program like this. You don't can't deliver 12 swim lanes that are, you know, crossing over with each other without great planning. And I think that's probably, that's probably a habit that we've formed as we look at this project. And now to Jim's point, we've got all of this great power, but planning, it's enabled us to think smarter as a business. I think when you've got what we have now, it is the behaviors you need to have with that is actually quite strong planning, cross-functional planning. And those two things, again, are intangible, but are absolutely critical to what we do now. Whereas if I think previously we would work in big Excel projects and you wouldn't think about the next Excel project until you finish this one. So it, I think planning and documentation have been a great kind of byproduct of this, this process. Right. And um, I guess kind of subtopic, but with this project, obviously it's a huge project, lots of stakeholders, you know, as I said, broad scope, what are some of the things that surprised you and what are some of the things that you think could have maybe been managed? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll another podcast on this one, I think. Um, so I, I, I think the, the, the level of um, tech debt or sort of areas we had to improve as we went, um, that was quite surprising. Or, originally, we we had a an ambitious target of um, uh, delivering for October um, 21, uh, certainly the first phase, is that ended up being April. And that was driven by just the sheer complexity and what we were dealing with to actually build and the size of the job. Um, 
ultimately, I think that that date was was always going to sort of be challenging. It was good to kind of have something to aim at, um, but it was effectively not based on you know too much. And because we were discovering as we went in a load of areas, that gave us a load of risk. So, so I think underestimating. Um, you know, the level and the complexity was something that was really sort of difficult for us. So, and that felt probably as, you know, well, that felt like a big surprise to us as a business because we've been saying, right, we were going for October, we're going for October. And then we're like, well, actually, we're, um, we've got to another, you know, few months onto the project to get things out the door. The thing, I guess it's, it's probably not unique to our business, but you have blackout periods of when you can actually release. The January, February is typically a busy time for gin. So, we didn't hit October. It didn't matter if the team were ready for December. We wouldn't go until after the beat period. So I think that's definitely uh, when when it came down to that is is understanding that kind of when is the lowest risk opportunity to drop a new piece of technology in a calendar, yeah, a trading calendar year, and that's probably actually shaped and formed a bit of how we yeah. how and what we do now. And there's always a great rush for Christmas, and then uh, then effectively the yeah. team just back for January and February while wanting to hope to get up. But, yeah. Uh, when, sorry, do you want to go? Yeah, no, so, so yeah, it's, it, it was just really those skeletons in the cupboard um, that we were finding. That was the, that was the big one for, yeah, the big one that, yeah, ultimately was, was the biggest surprise there. Um, and just, yeah, un, underestimating the password company is how quickly uh, we, we built up some of that debt or we built up, you know, some machines that we'd have to, you know, build around and work around. Attract, your complete product discovery growth engine. Create relevant shopping experiences that convert into sales and grow online revenue with personalized search, merchandising and recommendation solutions powered by AI. Find out more at attract.com. Yeah, I think that's quite common. I've, I've worked on a few large-scale projects where the, the, the technical debt internally, because you talked about you know improving your documentation, often it's the there's the hidden stuff that isn't documented that you discover when you're trying to isolate and retire specific processes or, or tools. And you go, oh, that breaks that bit over there. I didn't realize that. Um, an interesting point you're making, I think, Sean Ball, about the, about the uh, and you, Jim, sorry, about the, um, the move from October to April because you can't suddenly switch it to November or December because that basically you've lost three months instantly because you've got to miss peak trading. Um, interesting to hear that. And I guess that, that gives other people the confidence who listen in to realize that it's okay to defer a project if it's in the best interest of delivery. Don't, yeah. don't push it in and screw up your core trading. I think, um, I, just to add, like, and I do think this is an alternative angle that doesn't get talked about a lot, is tech debt is a phrase that gets thrown around quite a lot, but actually lots of departments have debt. So whether it's process debt, whether it's content debt, whether it's products debt, it's and I, I do think often it's a, it's something that technology teams get branded with quite a lot. And I would say in terms of what, what we learned, what we do different, I would love us to be in a better starting position when we started this project, but the world is the world. We weren't where we were, but it's definitely making sure you've got all your brilliant basics in place, because I think that helps you go faster when you get into this one. I remember when the program started to pick up pace and we're still trying to find a design a process or making sure actually this is how we want to do it. And I think having those things in place and just being really honest with yourself because you will get it will get found out when the project picks up pace. And the the last bit for me is just about maturity. I think 
as you advance a capability, there's a level of maturity that's needed and you can't really, maybe you can buy it. You can buy in people who have been there, done that, but actually it takes time to mature a vertical or to mature a project, mature something. And if you try to do so much of it in such a short period, and it takes time. And I think that maturity piece is definitely something that, um, if I could go back in time, I would probably like us to be a little bit more mature. And I don't mean the project team, I mean the whole business as a whole, really thinking with a digital mindset. If that exists and that culture exists, stuff like this is just, everything just gets, you know, quite 10% easier to deliver. And we definitely mature. And that's a big focus in my team is about maturity of vertical and maturity of the satellite departments around to really understand this or understand the behaviors of an inbound business, why we do what we do. Um, and I think that's that maturity is so important. If you don't have that upper tires board level and things like that, everybody needs to understand why we're doing this because otherwise I think it can slow the project down. Yeah, I think that's a great point about the like process and the knowledge debt as well. And and one of the big things I've seen in projects is the under underestimating the value of a BA to come in and get processes, current processes mapped out to understand where all the issues are and where the process is broken and define our desired to be process so that when you enter a project phase, you're able to articulate that to anyone who's involved in, in building and enabling. So yeah, great point on that. Um, so a linked question for me is, uh, and you've talked this about, you know, the swim lanes and the expertise and bring people together. Can you talk a bit more about how did you plan for the new technology adoption so that business users were ready and were ready to use the new processes and new systems? Because it's not something all businesses take seriously enough in projects. I can I can take the first little dash. And the great thing about this project was that it was training each other. So the ecom team were the ones building out the site from a content perspective. So there's no better kind of, you can go on all the courses in the world, but there's no better uh, experience than building it out and making mistakes. And I think that kind of is really valuable. And um, I think Alphonse's training was very, very good. And um, from an analytics point of view, we have a fantastic web analyst and we had an extended partner as well. The, again, this is probably missed in the project, but what we ushered in the new era of Google Analytics 360 along with a new data layer with this project and actually getting the conditioning of the behaviors around that. Again, it wasn't a swim lane, but it probably should have been a 13th swim lane, which was training and adoption. I think we had a lot of good people, I think, which probably made it easier and, and a lot of hands-on. And we benefited by the fact that the people on the project were the operators as well. So my team and Jim's team were tied at the hip for a lot of this. So there isn't a person in my team that didn't even if they didn't have a direct connection, they were in there for experience and for education and knowledge. And we even trained people who aren't in the ecom team on the CMS to get stuck in when we were doing the, the big mass content bill, just because we thought it'd be valuable for more people to have more education. And I think the hardest bit, the hardest bit for me and the one that probably kept me up my mind was, um, was SEO. Uh, migrations are always a, a tricky thing. And um, uh, there's no kind of, there's a guidebook or there's a, there's an Ikea flat pack of how to do a migration, but anytime I've done it, they've never gone hundred percent correctly. There's always going to be 5% or 10% of stuff. And we actually, uh, we launched our plane, uh, and we educated the business that there'd be probably a eight to 12 week re-indexing process. And that was, uh, 
around week six or seven, Google dropped an algorithm update. Uh, so as you can imagine, that was that was probably the toughest one. But I think it was it was a lot of double, triple, quadruple checking things, making sure everything was right. And we were very thorough. But I think that was the one. And Jim will probably have hundreds of these things. Sometimes with a migration, it is a bit of a like. Uh, you are a little bit, you're always going to be an element that's always going to be a little bit blind. And and that was probably from, in my area, with one of the toughest things that probably kept me awake at night. But thankfully, after, I think, 10 weeks, we fully re-indexed across every single thing and we actually improved positions, which was uh, obviously one thing we wanted to do. But I think you probably had a lot more. Uh, no, I think we managed risk pretty well. Uh, the operation banning was good. Um there's always things that go wrong. And, and what, what was also quite interesting, where we didn't have a lot of maturity before, because there was so much focus, but did everything, everyone started looking, people were bringing up issues, our uh, teams were bringing up issues, or we were seeing issues brought up that had been a problem for years. So we had this quite intense, uh, enhanced focus as well. So it was really a, a job to be like, well, there's even more skeletons falling out of the project and, and you know, things on the app for instance, which we, we haven't even touched part of this program. So it it, it was it is yeah, the positive in a way of in the overall but any change like this is, is is going to be difficult and take time into embed. Um but we we got through it and got to uh, benefits um pretty quickly and some of the tools that we put in place, some of the ways of doing things really helped us to to flush things out really quickly. Um so as it goes it was a, a switch over a rollout was 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 pretty good um by by all standards I remember in the in the hyper care period and again it's just an example of balancing capability development in the hyper care period where we weren't quite certain if a journey was working we all of a sudden had this following data there and much more sophisticated web analytics which we'd never had before and we were able to just almost like in an ER or in a hospital we were able to triage so quickly and we were able to fix things and I remember the hypercare period was something like, uh, I'm going to say 16 releases in about eight weeks. And, and it was just fantastic to watch the team in action with new platform, so much more granular data, uh, new delivery model, being able to just knock it up, smash it down. And that was like, I'd always look at that six week, eight week period as like, we're playing a whole new kind of level here. And with the ability to, triage fast with all of this new capability was was brilliant and and it just gave us all a lot more confidence i think if we ever had a challenge we've now got this really sophisticated data layer to be able to get straight to source look at the documentation to your point james you'd say well this is connected this is the kind of the journey to triage just became so much faster because education was so much better and it was enabled with a lot more sophistication of data that makes sense. Um, one additional question that I just added in. So James and I were kind of chatting in the background. And I think this would be really good context for the listeners. And you just mentioned an app as well. And, um, you know, we've talked a bit about some of the kind of legacy systems you have. Um, if you were like explaining to internal stakeholders that you were kind of walking through a systems diagram, could you just walk us through kind of how some of those systems work together, if that makes sense, and how things are kind of Sure. So I'll start at the bottom and then work the way up. So at the bottom, we have our member management and uh, yeah, payment system subscription. So that's 
things that look after product pricing, membership records, uh, uh, everything around our you know, pricing of the gyms, promotions we put all the membership products, all of those things get in uh, to actually get you into the gym. All, all uh, are, are stored in these big, big old systems that effectively are, are, are big or something mainframe back end uh, on a system having played. That's all backed up into the BI and data warehouse, which yeah, we've been able to do uh, an analysis or um, yeah, some of the, the things around uh, data science and AI. That's all backed up there. We then have integration points around an API uh, kind of core, so uh, real APIs that spin up in all of our um, applications. And then we have a whole bunch of like microservices. Likewise, we then have uh, Ambience now. We've got our customer identity manager. Um, that really comes in and then starts to read that effectively the channel of front end. So we've got front end app that looks after everything for e-commerce, front end app for heading around health service, so managing membership, all of those kind of things that go through there. We then got our app, um, which is a, 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 a you know, native, native app across Android and Apple, uh, powered by this system. And then we, we use Salesforce marketing power for outbound bonds, uh, and, and CRM. So that's effectively our, our, our stack, um, that we have in place at real kind of headless. We're able to spin up and integrate into other places. We've got speeds that go out to the people like Stilius partnership networks, all of those things, um, you can start to do from that kind of call. I often find that the, uh, the solution architect diagram that didn't just talk to true often on the cells, how complex it is. And one of the things I remember when we were doing the program was actually Jim put numbers to all of the connections on the lines. And so how many in a, in a business that's, you know, 800 odd thousand members logging into the website, logging into the app, setting up their account, using the pins, daily opening doors, the amount of interactions. And it was in the. I remember we had a number on it. I couldn't even tell you whether it was billion, trillion, or whenever comes after a trillion. And it was, I actually found that really valuable in, it, in the education journey for everybody. I don't think everybody realized how many hundreds of billions of interactions there are on those lines between all of those systems hourly and daily. And I think that was a real, I remember lots of people just kind of, the whites of their eyes probably then, wow, I didn't know that much actually happened. I thought the door just opened. And I definitely think architecture diagrams are great, but they often undersell the amount of complexity underneath it. Mate, I've, so I've just got this picture now of there's just a person in a room pressing a button to open the door. There's not really technology, is there? <laughs> yeah, that, that is really impressive. Like, I've got one final, one final question, actually, which is you've talked about... You know, project, it's a large project, loads of stakeholders, lots of different groups, the swim lanes. What internal comms tools did you use to connect people and keep project comms under control and avoid email wars where stuff gets lost, people don't do things because it's buried in inboxes? I'd love to hear just a few of the tools that helped you manage this and communicate effectively. Um, I, I think the, uh, the standards, uh, we've got teams in Slack um, yeah, with, with partners that was used sort of quite heavily, clearly keeping off email, as you say, obviously Jira from a kind of project on a workflow. What one thing that was really, um, difficult was this project. Yeah. was had its inception in the middle of a lockdown, uh, beginning of 
2021, yeah, we were we were locked down until about mid mid April. If you can cast your mind back there, so it was a a, a team that got themselves very used to collaborating um, remotely and and disparately, and that was quite interesting. Uh, and we had quite a few conversations at the time. Is this a help and a hindrance? Um, at times, it was a real help. Yeah, we fast tracked human processes, fast tracked some 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 things. Um, that really, you know, could, could help us, you know, get through where an RFP process could have taken, you know, months. Um, because, yeah, you've got to go to be partners' offices, you've got to go and like, all the sales, uh, the sales stuff and the sales pitches, and then you've got to go through and you've got to do the assessment. So, so that sort of stuff we could accelerate really quickly and make some quite fast decisions about how we wanted to do this and, you know, some of the, the, the things that we wanted to do there. Where it was a bit of a hindrance is probably on that sort of discovery and that forming where you see the creativity of people in the room around a whiteboard. We, we arguably, we didn't do enough of that in discovery to really understand which, you know, that was probably one of the reasons where we didn't hit an October date. We hit, uh, a, um, an April date. We'd done more discovery and we probably would have blushed out some of that stuff a little bit earlier. I think we had debt. We used, there was a lot of Miro for workshops and stuff obviously online and my team used Asana quite a lot and um, and the reason we did that was because that's the post project that was going to be how we do things as a operation but actually it well, not to jump between for my team not to be jumping between let's set up some processes in um confluence and jira but then actually when we go to bau operation it's going to be something different so um those tools definitely quite useful. I think um, it was a it was a small thing, but um, I vaguely remember we set some rules around sending stuff because I, I'm sure everybody has had this pain. But during lockdown, you're in a team chat, and for example, it's moving at some clip basically, and some old bots are violin, and then later down, you come to it because you're in a meeting, and and we, well, I can only speak for my team, but we established a couple of rules around what each tool is for, or so teams is for kind of conversation. But it's if you're sending an important document, you send it on email. And if you if it's really important documentation or it's an incident that goes into Jira and we create like a troubleshooting page of I've had this problem. It just sometimes it goes overlooked, but those sit and around silence for this, team is for this, email is for this, even the team WhatsApp is for this. But because it's there was a couple of times within my team where you were struggling to stay across all these different communication points and which is the most latest version of the file. And all, like, it was a really easy thing to fix. It's just a bit of a roles and responsibilities for challenge. Um, and it's been very effective. It's had to be had with stuck post project as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I, do, I, I think that's really sound advice to leave everybody on, which is the define what each tool's for so people know why they use it and don't put inappropriate stuff in yeah really really good advice especially when you've got a lot of people because it can get really messy um uh, jim short ball thanks very much we, we've covered all the questions you want to i think we've got a lot of really interesting and insightful content for people so thanks very much for taking the time to join us today thank you yeah thanks for having us um if anybody if anybody wants to connect with you or i ask any more questions what's the best way should they just hit you up on linkedin or? linkedin yeah it's the easiest way can, you know. excellent and also join the gym that's what there's the yeah absolutely and if you get and it adds the billions of uh, of interactions that this technology has to support 
Um, excellent. And thanks everyone for listening. As always, keep an ear open for the next episode. We drop on every Tuesday. Let us know how many topics you'd love us to cover. And remember, give us that rating on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And do share the links to the episodes when we publish them because it helps us keep all this content um, free. Take care, everybody. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.